right, well, if you had a chance to turn in your Bibles or turn in the Pew Bible to Revelation chapter 19, um, we're going to read a couple of verses here because I want to sort of look forward so we can look back and then be present uh, in, in this moment here. So um, we're looking forward. The book of Revelation is written by the Apostle John. He received this revelation from the Lord and was told to write it down and pass it on to the church. And we have been blessed by it, sometimes confused by it, if you read the whole book, but blessed by it ever since. It gives us a glimpse into the future. It gives us a glimpse into God's reality. So our reality is, is, is small. God's reality is much larger, much grander. Um, and so I want to read to you a couple of verses that mention the Lamb. The, the, the message this morning is called Behold the Lamb. And I want us to, to get a, a greater understanding, a greater uh, impact as to what actually this represents. So I'm just going to read Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty, he reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. I hope you have received that invitation and have responded to it by putting your faith in Christ. So this message this morning it's called Behold the Lamb of God. It starts with a question. What did Jesus actually come to earth to do? This week, this Easter week, this holy week that we're, we're entering into helps us to remember that. We, we, we have these traditions. We, we sing traditional songs. We remind ourselves of the tradition of the palm branches and things like that because it's so important. Maybe more important than Christmas, even though we make such a big deal out of Christmas. Easter, for us as believers, is an essential belief, an essential understanding of what God came to do. Jesus came to die for us. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when, when Joseph had received a dream and an angel of the Lord spoke to him, the angel said, He will save his people from their sins. John the Baptist, the camel skin wearing, locust eating, crazy prophet out in the wilderness, when he saw Jesus coming towards him on the day of Jesus' baptism, he declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in John chapter 1. But what does that mean? What does the Lamb of God mean? mean? And what does it mean to take away the sin of the world? We need to understand this as believers because we'll be called upon to explain it. Explain it to our children, explain it to our neighbors, explain it to our co-workers. There's going to be a time, I believe, that that God is going to be calling people who have these questions, who have these needs, and we have got to have the answer. And so this morning, pay attention Because your loved ones, your co-workers, your neighbors, those who you haven't met yet, even strangers, need to know 
what this means. What does it mean that the Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world? And why a lamb? Why a lamb of all creatures, right? Why not a dove? Why not a giraffe? Why not, you know, some other creature? The lamb. Well, remember who John's, John who wrote this book, the Gospel of John, who his audience was when he was writing. He was writing to first century Jewish people. When, when John the Baptist was speaking, he was speaking to Jewish people who had gathered around him in the wilderness because he had a new message. He had something that they wanted to hear. And those people immediately knew what the Lamb of God taking away sin meant. There was no confusion for them. It was a reference to their own history, the Jewish festivals, the festival around Passover. Passover was the yearly and still is a yearly memorial to God's miraculous deliverance of the people of Israel from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. 400 years. So as a judgment against the Egyptians, God sent the plagues. You know this story because it's an Old Testament story from the book of Exodus. But those, those people of God had endured 400 years of cruelty. So God brought judgment upon the Egyptians for forcing them into that position, for using them in that way, for torturing them and, and using them to build their own wealth and their own kingdom. So he sent 10 plagues to them. And each time the Egyptian king, the Pharaoh, he hardened his heart. Moses would come, there would be, there would be a, a plea to set my people free, let them go into the wilderness where they can worship God, and the Pharaoh would say no, and so God would send another, another plague, one that's worse, and each time they, they continued to get worse and worse, but he hardened his heart and refused to let God's people go and to live in freedom. The last of those terrible plagues was that the angel of death, which God would send, would sweep through the land and kill the firstborn child and the firstborn animals because they valued their animals, that was their wealth, throughout the entire country. That horrible judgment would include the Israelites unless they listened and obeyed God. He gave them special instructions for that night when the angel of death would come. Each family, God told them, was to take a lamb, a lamb without defect, a perfect lamb. Now, I don't know much about lambs and things like that, but it couldn't have anything broken. It couldn't have any sores on it. It couldn't be mangy looking. It had to be the prize of the flock. It had to be perfect in appearance and in its health without blemish. And they were to take and kill that lamb. And then using a branch, a hyssop branch, they were to paint some of the blood around the door frame of their house. And then God promised when the angel of death saw that blood, he would pass over that house and spare that house from the judgment of death. He would pass over. This is where Passover comes from. He would pass over. He didn't, he didn't enter that house. No one in that house died. The angel of death would move on. So the Passover feast, and especially the Passover lamb, became a powerful central symbol for the Israelites. 
that the penalty for death from one's sins would be paid for by another. Someone else would pay for their sins. In this case, it was the lamb. The lamb that they had, had slaughtered and, and they, had, they had killed it as a substitution. So this whole idea of a substitute, that someone could come in and do what needed to be done for you. That's what a substitute teacher does, right? All of the, those of you who are teachers, you call in a substitute, you leave the lesson plan, and they try to do with those kids what you would have been doing, right? So God promised that, that he would make a day, that he would give a day, the day of atonement, he ended up calling it, where this creature, this lamb, could be slain, could pay the penalty for the sins of the people. So the high priest would go into the temple on that day, the day of atonement. And he would go there and he would kill an unblemished lamb, an animal, as payment for the people's sins, for the whole nation of Israel. They would receive forgiveness that day. And year after year, throughout the whole Old Testament and into the New Testament, when Jesus lived, year after year, this happened. The high priest would, would find the perfect lamb. He would take it. He would slaughter it. He would go into the Holy of Holies. He would present the blood there. And God would symbolically forgive them of all of their sins or actually defer their sin, defer the payment, the penalty for those sins through the blood of that lamb. Now, when you defer a payment, what happens? Anybody? You still owe it. Yeah, there's interest on it. <laughs> Forgot that part. Uh, but when you defer it, you just put it off until later. So maybe you defer it for 12 months or you defer it for two years or whatever. You put it off for later. That's what was happening in the Old Testament. These lambs would allow for their, a deferment of the penalty. So the penalty wasn't going to come that year. And it wasn't going to come the next year. And if they were faithful, it, it wasn't going to come the next or the next. But the payment was still due to God. Because the wages of our sin and our rebellion against him still added up to death. So someone had to die. This is how Jesus was enabled to take away our sin. It took time, but eventually the followers of Jesus realized that Jesus' mission here on earth wasn't just to bring the good news of the kingdom of God, which was part of his mission. And he did that through his miracles, and he did that through, through feeding the 5,000. He wasn't just here for, for the free lunch. Jesus had a deeper purpose, a, a more lasting purpose. Because you know what? If you were at the feeding of the 5,000, by the next day, you were hungry again. All right? You needed lunch for the next day and the next day. So Jesus didn't come to become like a, a food vendor who's going to feed them every day. He came for a deeper purpose than that. He did that to prove that he could do miracles, that he was God himself. But he came to die for our sins, to take away our sins once and for all, to be the substitute, the sacrifice for us. So Jesus was not just king, which they tried to crown him to be king. In, in, in On Palm Sunday, there was a lot of misunderstanding. Okay, now he's going to come and he's going to take over the government. He's going to get rid of the Romans. He's going to make everything right. He didn't, just, he didn't just come as king that way. He came as a suffering king, a king that was going to pay this penalty. In Hebrews 9, which we studied for a long time last year, Hebrews 9.26 says, Now Christ has appeared... 
once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. To do away with it is different than deferring it. Now, the loan has been paid. There is no longer a debt. Before, it was moved. It was just moved down another year, another year, another decade, another decade. But now, he has appeared. He died for our sins once and for all, Scripture tells us. This is important for us to understand. This is important for us to be able to communicate so that others can understand. See, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus knew from the very beginning of his mission that he was to die for the sins of his people. The angel of the Lord announced to Joseph before his birth, he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21. This is before he was even born. He will save his people from their sins. And Jesus talked a lot about his death many times in the Gospels to his disciples. And, and they didn't understand. They, they, it didn't make sense. And it kind of doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't seem logical that someone with all this power and all this authority and all this ability would come and, and empty himself and be born as a, as a human being and let himself suffer and die. It, it, it's, it's kind of backwards in our thinking because we think of, of someone coming and just wrecking the place, like you know, coming with a big army and you know, big bombs and blowing the place up and getting everything settled the way that he wants it to be. That's not how Jesus came. That's not how he was promised to come. He came as a suffering king, a suffering servant. And when he talked about his death to his disciples, Peter one day foolishly tried to stand in his way. And Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but only the things of men. How often does this happen to you? That you just get in mind the things of, of this world, the things of men, is that what, that's what it means, the things of this world, but not the things of God. We have to work to renew our minds because our minds are, 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 are captured many times by the things of this world. And we forget that God is at work, that God's kingdom is coming, that the king has already come and announced that he is victorious over sin and over death. But we become a stumbling block to one another and even to ourselves when we don't think about the things of God, when we don't remind ourselves about the truth of God. This is why it's so important for you throughout the week to be in the word of God, to remind yourself, what did God say? What is God's heart towards that? How do I hear God's voice? You know, in in reading his word and meditating on his word, we begin to understand the things of God and the things of this world grows strangely dim, as the hymn says. They, they, they kind of, they don't take front seat. So it's important for us not to become a stumbling block and not to allow the enemy to distract us from the things that are really important, the things that God has put us here for, our purpose, which is to share the good news, to reach out to others in the love of Christ. See, Jesus understood the significance and the purpose of his death. This is why when Satan tempted him in Matthew chapter 4, he didn't fall for it. He knew what his purpose was. So the temptations, he could combat them. And he knew the word of God. So he could apply that to those. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man, which is a reference to himself, 
came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We love to be served. I know we do. My wife and I go out to restaurants, and I love it when the waiter or waitress does a good job. They think of your every need. They come back and check. Need anything else? Well, let me fill up your water. You know, like, you know. We love that. We're willing to pay for that, right? We love to be served. But here we have, again, sort of a backwards idea or a different idea. The, the way that God does things, the things of God are that Jesus came to serve. And not just serve, but to give his life as a ransom. To get us back from our kidnapper, sin and death and Satan. He paid the ransom. He paid the price. In Matthew 26, verse 28, as he shared the Last Supper with his disciples, which we'll do in a few moments, he took the cup, the cup of wine, and he declared, drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Through his blood, we receive forgiveness. Going on in that chapter, it says, I lay down my life for my sheep. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord or my own will. I'm doing this purposely. I'm not a victim. They're not forcing me into this. I am laying down my life. I'm in control, in other words, of what I'm doing. Jesus knew why he was going to die. There is no question about that in scripture. Throughout all of the gospels, it is clear that he understood his ultimate reason for life was to bring us life, to die in our place. And out of love for his people, he willingly went there. He became the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God that was slain so his people could be forgiven. It's simple. But it's profound. He came so that we could have the forgiveness that we desperately need. Desperately needed. He took the punishment that we deserved. Now the the rest of the New Testament after the Gospels are taught by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit inspired the writers. And the early Christians understood what Jesus had accomplished on the cross. Just listen to some of their words. The Apostle Paul described it like this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. Taking that curse on himself in Galatians. In another place he explains, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become, what does it say? The righteousness of God. This is the crazy exchange, right? We sinners actually through what Christ did become the righteousness of God. In other words, in right relationship with him, even though we have offended him, even though we have snubbed our nose at him, even though we have neglected his word, even though we have gone in the complete opposite direction as to what he instructs us to do, because of what Christ did in his love for his people, you and I as believers can become right with God. Hallelujah. That's why we celebrate Easter. 
That's why we actually celebrate his death, which sounds a little morbid, right? But because of his death, we have life. And because we know that he rose again, the death was not final. The death did not win. He rose victorious even over death. Hallelujah. So God made Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, to be sin for me and sin for you. So that we could have this privilege. Peter, the apostle Peter wrote, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. To bring us back to God. This is why he suffered. This is why he came. We praise him for this. Peter also wrote, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to be righteous, live in righteousness. It is by those wounds that we are healed. By those wounds we are healed. What Christ went through brings us healing in our soul in our relationship with God, in our relationship with ourselves, in our relationship with others, there's healing because of what Jesus has done. Do you see what these early Christians were saying about the significance of the death of Christ? They were saying that when Jesus died, it was not a punishment for his own sins that he endured. He didn't have any. He had none. I can't imagine what that's like. But he had none to pay for. It was the punishment for his people's sin. The people he loved and was willing to die for. As he hung on the cross at Calvary, Jesus bore all the horrible weight of the sins of all of God's people. All of their rebellion. All of their disobedience. All of their sin fell on his shoulders. And the curse that God had pronounced way back in the book of Genesis, way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had fallen, there was a curse. Because of sin, they would then die. That curse, which was deferred and deferred and deferred and deferred, came down on Christ himself. In the sentence of death on Calvary, it struck, it hit. It finally was done. That's why Jesus could say, it is finished. It is finished. There is no more to be paid. He suffered in our place. The prophet Isaiah had actually prophesied 700 years before Christ how it was going to happen and what it would produce. And as we get ready to to share in the Lord's Supper together, to share the elements together. I want us to read, I have this on a slide, I'm thinking it's big enough. If it's not big enough, I apologize. But if it's big enough for some of you because you have young eyes, just, just read it with me. You don't have to read it like out loud, like dramatically or anything like that, but just let your, your mouth read these words as, as I read them to you. Let's read them together. The thing that I want to do as we read it is is realize the the pronoun our. Our. It's not their sin. It's not somebody else's sin that he paid for. It was ours. 
So let's read this together. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53, 4. Let those words sink in this week. As we go through Holy Week, as we get to Easter, remember what has been accomplished. And remember that it was personal. It was for you. It was for you and you and you and you and many others. Scripture says many, the many. Only God knows the exact number. But if you get to be counted as one of them, you are surely blessed. You are blessed beyond blessing. This is the significance of this. Can you say along with me that ultimately this means that I'm the one that died, that should have died, not Jesus. I'm the one that should have died, not him. But he died for me. I should have been punished, not him. He was punished for me. Yet because of his great love for me, he took my place. He stepped in. He substituted for me and then died for me. Those were my sins that were put on him. We can't miss the significance of this personally or else it doesn't doesn't change us. We need to know that he died for us. It was my iniquities, my chastisements, my punishments that he took, my trespasses that became his sorrow. And his punishment brought me peace. Can you say that? Are you at peace with God today and every day since you've become a believer? Truth is you are, but are you experiencing that peace? God's not mad at you. God's not waiting to send lightning bolts on you when you step out of line. Because of the love of Jesus, you are at peace with God. Sometimes you don't feel at peace because this world hasn't yet experienced the peace in that way. But with God, your relationship is solid because of Jesus. No one can take you out of his hands. Scripture tells us it's it's solid. And it's because of Jesus, not because of you. Not because you were good enough. Only because Christ himself took it on himself. His grief brought me joy. His death gives me life. Can you say that? Can you say that? If not, if you are not at peace with him, what a great time to become at peace with him. And all you have to do, scripture says in Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is 
your Lord. And then you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You will be rescued. You will be ransomed. If you really take those steps and say, I believe that. I believe that Jesus is my Lord, that that there's someone greater than myself. I believe. And I want him to to be my Lord. I want to serve him. He's not cruel. He's not a cruel master. He's a loving, gentle master. In fact, he said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Friends of God? Unbelievable privilege that comes through Jesus. If you follow him as a disciple, if you call him your Lord, and if you really believe in your heart that he's been risen from the dead, that's the key to salvation. The key to salvation is not just that he died, but that the victory comes next week. We'll celebrate in victory together through the resurrection. So as we get ready to, now we can crinkle the papers. As we get ready to share in communion together, let's... uh, Try to get the packaging ready. I'm going to read the words from Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's recorded um, in chapter 26. As the Lord shared that last supper with his disciples... Often we we read from Corinthians because Paul taught the church how to share in communion together. But let's go back to when it actually happened. Recorded here in Matthew chapter 26. It says that on the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, which is part of the Passover, the Jewish Passover celebration, the unleavened bread, The disciples came to Jesus and said, let us make preparations so we can eat the Passover together. And so he goes through that process with them and they get ready. And he tells them again that he's going to die and and they say, surely, surely not, not, I'm not going to be the one to betray you because he's talking about Judas and the betrayal. He's, He's letting them know he's little by little laying it all out before them. Because he loves them. He wants to prepare them. Judas finally leaves. And then in verse 26, when they were eating, Jesus then took the bread and he gave thanks. And then he broke it. So let's break ours. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat for this is my body. Let's eat together. that he took the cup and he gave thanks and he offered it to them and he said drink from it all of you for this is my blood the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins 
And I tell you, I will not drink of this vine, the fruit of the vine, from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the word of God, that it reveals to us the purpose of our Savior coming to earth. Yes, he came and he taught. He revealed things about the kingdom. He revealed things about heaven and the Father that we didn't know before, but ultimately he came to lay down his life, to take the punishment that we deserved on himself. So God, we thank you for that. And as we enter into this Easter week, Lord, help this message to really go deep into us so that we understand what has happened, what has gone on so that we could be one with you, so that we could be righteous in your eyes, so that we could be welcomed into your family so that we could be called the children of God. We thank you for Jesus this morning. Help us to worship him throughout this week, thanking him again and again for going to the cross for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.